Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Ampart Rolls podcast supported by Blue Collar Street Food. Well, today I've been joined by, I would say, the greatest attacking midfielder at Elm Park that I ever saw play. People would argue with that, but if you want to, I'll take you on on Twitter because I'm pretty convinced this was the one. It is Simon Osborne. Hi, Simon. Evening, Paul. How you doing, mate? You okay? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a busy day. It's been interesting getting this done, hasn't it? But we have got to this point. It's kind of like COVID times. How are you finding COVID world at the moment? Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit difficult. It's a very strange time, I think, for everybody. Um, I'm fortunate that I've been, I've been working through the lockdown. I'm in construction, so we follow government guidelines. We haven't been shut down. But it's been difficult sort of managing what's going on there and uh, sort of trying to stay as safe as you possibly can, which is, which is all that we want to do. And, and hopefully, you know, we're, we're past the peak and we're looking forward and trying to get back to some kind of normality, although I know it's going to be, a, uh, be quite a time. So it's been difficult. It's been, it's been difficult. But... Um, like I said, I've managed to battle on and uh, hopefully, like I said, it'll, it'll pass and we can get back to maybe in, at some time in the future watching a bit of football again. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's kind of like seeing as the idea of a full stadium now is so enticing, isn't it? The idea of it, just getting back to that. I mean, because you kind of take it for granted. I know I did. You just turn it on every weekend. It's just there. You know, you can watch, you could probably watch about 20 matches in a weekend if you really wanted to. But, um, Yes. Have you missed actually football or like the chat around football? I think you missed, I think that the chat and the, the opinions and certain things that go on, my son's a referee, so there's bits that he does in local football. So I think that's more what you miss. Football's so accessible. I mean, sport's so accessible for, for everybody now, not just football. And I think when it's not there, as in all sport, you kind of realise how much impact it has on, on basically the whole of the community. People don't talk about stuff that's happened at the weekend. There's no controversy. You know, I, I listen to some of these talk shows and radios that are trying to talk about stuff where there's any news at the moment to do. So it's a, it's a really difficult one. But uh, I think it's a release as well for people sometimes just to go down, catch up with friends that they've been going to football with for, for an awful long time, be it in non-league or a Premier League game, and just to have a chat through football, something will happen that they'll have a, you know, a, an opinion on. And, and that's why we love football so much, because you always do get that. And yeah, yeah you know, I miss... I miss watching it. I don't miss watching it every single day, but there's certain things you want to watch. Yeah, no, I totally agree on missing just going with your mates and stuff, though. It's the chat, isn't it? It's like, which player you like? Which play line? He's not good. Oh, he's brilliant. The offside, the referee. And is your son's a referee? Do you not see a different side of that now? Because obviously, as a player, <laughs> it's kind of a different world. You're trying to get the edge all the time, aren't you? 
Yeah, it is. I mean, I do. It took me. It took me a little while, obviously, to to transfer to the dark side. Um, <laughs> but it's not. It's not easy, you know. I I have a lot of admiration now for referees. Now talking to him a lot and watching him um, since he's sort of moving himself up up the levels where he's trying to go as high as he can. There's an awful lot that goes into to refereeing that you have much more of an appreciation now. I do. Sorry, as a son, as a referee of the decisions they have to make, the positions they have to be in, and it's all in a split second, and then you get scrutinised on TV. It's not easy. Um, like I said, we, we played it, but we had, I think it's changed a little bit. We had some good relationships with referees, and we could laugh and a joke, but I think now the the eye of the cameras and everything is on every, every decision. It's far, it's this, it's that. You've got lines on pitches, and God knows what now. It's ridiculous, but it kind of takes a little bit away from it. I, I just... Like I said, we won't get into the ins and outs of ours, but I think some of that takes away that raw emotion because you're not sure whether it's a goal, not a goal, offside, offside, is it a foul? What are we going back to? It just takes that little bit away. No, I, I totally agree. And yeah, let's not get into a fire because we could do a late whole three hours on that, couldn't we? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, let's leave, leave that well alone. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So let's take this right back to 1994 then. I'd say the last really great season at Elm Park. We obviously end up not being the best, but we'll get to that. But the games before and finishing second in the first division as it was then, that was such an achievement. So you joined us from Crystal Palace for 90,000. Tell us how that move came about. Um, the season before, well, the season before I joined Reading, I was still at Q, uh, Crystal Palace and I played a few games. We'd got promoted, won the, uh, the first division as was. I went up to the Premier League, but I just didn't feel... I'd participated enough and I, I really felt it was time for me to, to make a change. I'd been at Palace since I was 16, um, come through the ranks. And I just felt I wanted to go and play more football. I wanted to play week in, week out and just just didn't think I was going to get that at, at Crystal Palace in that season at the Premier League. So I turned down the offer of a contract. I'd played in a testimonial to win towards the end of the season, which Colin Beard had come to. And um, it obviously liked some I'd seen. A good, great player in Kevin Dillon had then sort of left Reading. Um, and the guys started talking to Crystal Palace and asked if I'd sort of go across. I, I went across to Reading for a week, trained. Uh, there was uh, two teams out on Saturday. I played over at Whitney. Obviously, they wanted to do the deal. I didn't have to go back to Palace and all the rigmarole, sorting out the fee and add-ons or whatever you want to call it. It was all done and dusted. And I literally signed a week before the season. I just, I just really enjoyed my week at Reading. Um, felt they was in a really good place. Just got promoted. Really good vibe about it. Liked what Mark and Colin were doing. Got on great with the players there, and and you know, Daley Thompson was training a couple of times. It was amazing, you know. So I just sort of thought, you know, if I go somewhere and play week in, week out, uh, I want to do that. And um, fortunately, all the, the odds and sods got sorted out, and I signed a week before the season started, and just just fell straight into a, a really good team that had been bolstered by a couple of signings, uh, Andy Bernal, um, obviously you know Darius Dovchek, and it just it just it just worked straight out for me. Oh, definitely. Had you ever been to uh, Elm Park before you actually signed for us? Yeah, it's quite a unique place in many ways, I feel. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an old school proper ground. I played in there in reserve games. We obviously had the combination at the time. So we used to play it over at, you know, you always used to play at the grounds, which was, which was fantastic experience for a 16-year-old to, you know, go to Highbury or go to um, White Hart Lane or, or the grounds like that. And even then down to the Oxfords and the Reddings, you kind of got a feel for, for a different stadium, really, and, and the, the older type stadium and the ones that were up and coming. So, yeah, I've been there before. Obviously, you know, came across, done the training, had a sort of walk around and talked with Mark about you know, his plans and stuff like that. And just really wanted the bits and pieces to be sorted out so I could have been there quicker, really. But um, it didn't quite happen like that. But touch wood, and, and luckily it did. It all got sorted out in the end. 
Yeah, definitely. So we go into the first game of the season. We play Wolves away. We lose 1-0, but we actually play really well. Uh, what are your memories of that match? Yeah, we did. Obviously, you know, first game of the season is always a bit a bit tricky going into it, new team. But we did. We played we played really, really well. We should have beat Wolves. Um, we came away with an unlucky 1-0 in that. They, the keeper pulled off a couple of good saves. Mike Stowell then went to Wolves, obviously, following a couple of spells elsewhere. Um, and one of my good mates, Neil Emman, played. And he, they just couldn't believe that, you know, they beat us 1-0. And it, it, we, get, we gained great confidence from that. Wolves were obviously one of the big... The clubs at the time, Graham Taylor was there. They'd spent a lot of money. So, you know, to hold our own against against a team like that and, and be unlucky to come away from it, I think gave us great confidence. Yeah, definitely. I remember it clearly as uh, watching it and listening to it as well. And then we move a few games onwards and we get to the Barnsley game. We get your first goal. Um, typical Simon Osborne goal for Reading from about 25 yards out. We can make it 35 now, can't we? Good time. <laughs> add, add, a little, add a little bit. <laughs> add it all in. Left-footed one. Kind of, I think, did you set up the second goal as well, maybe for Scott Taylor? I think you I think might. I was involved in it as far as I can remember. There was a couple okay, of Okay, I'll give it to you anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah, well, I'll <laughs> take an assist. I'll take an assist. Yeah, exactly. What are your memories of the goal then? Yeah, like I said, it was a, it was a left foot strike. Obviously, it's not my favourite foot, um, but I called it well. Dave Watson, who I think is now the England goalkeeping coach, was in goal. And it was funny because Barnsley, uh, at the time, were redeveloping parts of the stadium. So there was a completely empty stadium or stand behind it. So um, it's a bit like possibly what we're going to get in the next six months. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was great. It was a sort of typical away performance for us. You know, we were very resolute uh, in what we had when we went away from home throughout the whole season, really. And um, yeah, it was great just for me to get off the mark. It, it takes a little bit of a weight off your shoulders. People were expecting you to, to sort of come in and hit the ground running and, and, and also chip in with some goals. So um, yeah, I was fortunate to get that one in. And like I said, it, it went well for me in those, that early part up to my injury at, at sort of Christmas of, of, of sneaking in there with a few goals. Yeah, definitely. Some amazing goals. Your next one was against Oldham. And the commentator says, did he mean that? Now, I watched you all and I think, I'm pretty certain you did mean that. You can tell us now, did you mean to dink him like that? Yes, I did, yeah. Literally, yeah. it just, Mickey, I think it was Mickey Gooding just slipped me the ball and I managed to get a little toe through um, Richard Jobson's legs. And just as I, I just had a brief little look up and I just saw him off his line, but the ball was a little bit stuck under my feet. So I thought I'd, you know, you can do that and practice it in the garden. I just thought I'd give it a go. And it's one of those that probably either go in like it did or end up with a goalkeeper throwing his cap on it and smashing it back up the other end. But fortunately, I caught it just right. And uh, I don't think he knew it because I took it quite early. So, like I said, I, I, yes, I meant it. Would it come off nine times out of ten? I doubt it. But fortunately, on that, on that day, it did. And uh, again, the first person up to me was AD because he'd made a minor mistake for the first goal. So, he literally all over me. So, yeah. <laughs> It, uh, um, and like I said, it stands up there as one of my, you know, I was I was lucky at Reading in the early part. I did manage to, to to get a couple of decent goals in all fairness. So I think fans, had, you know, took to me a little bit more when I, I managed to do that as well. Definitely building that relationship when you go to a club must be so important because you want to make an impact straight away. Um, did you feel that there was love straight away coming from the fans? I mean, then I seen your name pretty quickly as I remember it at Elm Park. Yeah, you, you want to, of course you do. You know, you've, you've, you've come into a team that have just got promoted. Um, you've come down from what they perceive as a Premier League club. You're a young player um, and they want to see something from you. So, like I said, I was lucky. It, it, it just fell in. I'd fell into the team. The people around me were great. Um, and I just enjoyed my football. It, it, was, it was fantastic. And things that were trying were coming off. And, and that was really what I wanted to do. I've always, it's always the way I wanted to play. And um, 
I was just fortunate I did that. The fans took to me, you know, they could see that I was trying and, and I think that's the, the only thing you can do. You're going to make mistakes. It's human nature. So it's how you, you deal with those. And, and fortunately for me, they, they did take to me and, um, you know, I, I love my time there. Yeah, definitely. When people talk about bravery in football, they always instantly kind of think of tackles and they think of putting their head in. But actually, I think for bravery is constantly doing the pass and trying that pass like you always seem to do. And that's kind of like takes if you're getting some stick or maybe it's not working for you. That's bravery for me. Yeah, that's right. There's different, like you say, there's different types of bravery. There is people that will, you know, in our team at that time, you had the Jeff Hopkins and the Phil Parkinson will run for a brick wall and, and head a boy if it was on the ground. That's just, that's just the way they were. And that's a different kind of bravery. I, you know, I was brave in, in different ways where I would take the ball in certain situations were a bit tight and I would um, try and play a, a pass that would, would open up the defence or create a goal-scoring opportunity. And yes, it doesn't always come off, but I wasn't going to change the way I played. Um, that was what Mark brought me in to do, to try and create chances and try and score goals. Um, and if it didn't quite work out, sometimes, like I said, probably to my detriment, I'd probably still keep trying to do the same things. And in one of the games, it wasn't quite happening for you, where you should have probably just simplified your game. But, you know, I wasn't going to do that. And they're, and they're the chances I take and the risks I took at that time. Who of all the midfield players that you played with, you have obviously had Parkinson, you had uh, Scott Taylor there, Mick Gooden. Which one do you think were best with you? Well, because I'm, I was predominantly playing in the, in the centre there, I'd say I played a lot of my games with Phil. We then changed a little bit later on in the season where we played three, which was myself, Mick Gooding and sort of Scotty Taylor as well. Um, Phil complimented me what I did. Phil was brilliant. Um, you know, he'd, he'd put his foot in, he'd win the ball back, was, was determined. And, and basically, you know, at certain times, Mark would just literally say to him, Phil, go and win the ball, do what you're really good at. Not that he wasn't a bad footballer. Yeah. used to give me the freedom and, and the ability to go forward because Phil would, would cover where I wasn't. Um, and he'd get me the ball. So for, for me, that was great. And then moving forward further into the season with the likes of Nick, Scotty, and also Michael, uh, Jilks Hill, we know that, you know, these guys are all ready legends and we could talk about it forever. They just, again, it, it just gelled and complimented me really well. You know, I'd, I'd have Michael on the wing that you could get a ball to and gain you 50 yards or leave one over the top and he'd get onto it. Scotty had a knack of arriving in the box at the right time and picking up goals. And, and Mick was just that terrier who would probably still run around now if he could. Um, like he did then, so it was just it was just a real good good blend of players and a good and a good way of playing that that, that worked for us that season. Yeah, totally. It was uh, just dynamic when you watched us play, and the manager as well, Mark McGee, just really good passing football. Some of the best football I've definitely ever seen for Reading and at either ground, really. But we move on to the game against Watford when you score another spectacular goal. Uh, we're two 0 down at half time. And this is kind of wondering where this is going to go quite early. In the but then you get the first goal back with, yeah, this probably was about 25 yards out. And it bounces a few times before it goes in as well. That's the <laughs> only best, once. Quite sure, right? Only once. It only bounced once. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. no. But when you're striking the ball like that and your confidence is high, it just shows what kind of like it, players feel more relaxed and take that chance because they know they're not going to get stick straight away. Is is that kind? Am I right there, or have I got the mentality? Yeah, 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 definitely. When you've got a little bit of confidence, which I had at that particular time, you know, I've, I felt we were playing well as a team. I was playing well as an individual, you know, and, it, and we were creating chances, and I was getting opportunities to, to to strike on goals. You know, I've always you know been able to hit a decent ball, and it was you just take on things, and it, you know, it doesn't just come from luck. You practice it, you train. This is what we do. That's the unseen bits and pieces of it. And you do work it. 
um, and you work at your technique and you keep doing all that stuff. And then fortunately you get these little spells where the shots that you hit go in and you get a little bit of luck. Like I said, it bounced in front of the keeper a little bit, took an awkward bounce up and it goes in. Another day, he'll save that and push it around the post. And it just it just kind of falls like that, you know. So I was lucky at that particular time we got that. We we actually probably we were poor in the first half, really poor at that game as far as I can yeah. remember. We just couldn't we just couldn't get going for whatever reason it wasn't happening. And then, you know, we had a little chat at half time, a couple of changes, no minor tweaks. And the second half really played really, really well and probably should have gone on and won the game. So, um, you know, there's certain bits that you remember in seasons. And like I said, at that particular time, playing all the way up to the Christmas day until I picked up the injury, I, I you know, I was, I, I felt I was playing really, really well and, and I really enjoyed my football. And I think the team itself, you could see that we wanted to pass the ball. Mark and Colin worked really well together at that time. Mark was the man manager, Colin the sort of tactician, more so that side. So that, that worked as a management team um, and what they were, trying to get us to do was working as well and it um it boded well at home and away for some really good football yeah totally and for me Colin Lee doesn't get quite the credit that he deserves it's it's Mark McGee is obviously at the front he's the manager but he brought in some brilliant players like yourself and he doesn't get mentioned much now by Reading fans I don't know why that is it's just a kind of name that's disappeared slightly or your kind of interactions with him like throughout the season not just the beginning yeah, no, I got on really well with both Mark and Colin. You know, Colin, as I said, she was the more thinker, the, the more, um, the guy that would take it out on the training ground and try and implement a plan. Obviously, he talked it through with Mark, but Colin was the man that would get the coaching sessions. Mark would, would have, his, have his input. But um, the guys all respected Colin. He was a good guy. They were different, which, which worked really well. You know, Colin was a bit more, a bit more serious at times and liked it, but you could have your fun in training. But he'd have a plan of a session of how we wanted to work it or have a plan of how we we're going to play through to the Saturday. Um, you know, slightly change away from home. We might sit a little bit deeper and look to it in the break. So we, he'd work through that. And like I said, I worked with Colin over two or three different periods of, of my career up at Wolves, obviously, and then later on in my career at Walsall. So I always got on really well with Colin and always liked the way he worked. I felt that he, again, he's every, if every manager I've respected, every coach, and they always try and add little bits and pieces to the game. So I, I you know, I, Give full credit to the guys there that they allowed me to go and do something and put the, the sort of structure in for it for me to be able to go and do that. And and like you say, he doesn't get a lot of credit. Um, those those three and Mick Hickman as well. Those three all worked as a team, and that team at that particular time done really well for for somebody like Leicester to come along and and, and nab them. Yeah, definitely. We'll come on to that in a bit. <laughs> kind of, that was quite an interesting period for as a Reading fan. But then you score, also scored the goal against Charlton away. Now, whenever I put the goal up, there's a certain left back who always takes credit for the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Kerr. Yeah, I know. He always says, what an amazing corner that is. Now, Dylan was a quality player for us, but I'm not sure <laughs> that is the bit that is amazing. I mean, he also asked the question, and you saw the question about your drinking. Is it true that you're a southern softy shandy drinker? <laughs> No, we've always had we've always had this. I, I get on great with Dylan. We're still we're still good mates, really good mates now. And I talk to him all the time. And um, got to the thing because I, I, I we weren't really big drinkers. We'd have a few on a um, you know once a, or twice a month. You know the usual TGIs, and then off to Utopia for for a couple of hours. But um, yeah. I need to drink bottles. I didn't drink. I don't like drinking pints. It was just a thing. That, so you know I'd have a couple of bottles, and he'd be standing there drinking pints, and it, it just started from there. So. I'd always call him the whippet walking northerner and he'd be the, be the soft southern shandy drinking Londoner. So we just had that. But like I said, at that, again, at that time, that was, that was part, of, part of our makeup, part of the team to team unit with 
like I said, it wasn't every week thing. It was a different culture then to what we've got now. But we'd get together. If we had a few little issues on the pitch or we hadn't had a great result, we might get ourselves together on a Tuesday. We used to train in, in, in Pangbourne there. So we'd pop down to George, have a bite to eat together. Maybe pop into town, like I said, to TGI's or, or end up. And we'd, we'd clear the air. We'd have, you know, have a couple of pints, have a little heart to heart, maybe call each other one or two names and, and whatever else. And that would clear the air and, and come Wednesday day off back in training hard Thursday for a game on, on a Saturday. And that was, that was kind of how it was. And, and again, it, part of that was great. I really liked that part of it. You know, sometimes, and again, Dylan AD, guys like that, we'd, we'd get an away win drop back in and pop in a rendezvous for a quick pint on the way back so I could take a couple of quid off people at Paul. So it, it was... <laughs> the rendezvous. What memories, though. That was... Yeah, uh, yeah, brilliant. Uh, quite incredible. It's like, yeah, I've heard about these... Um, <clears throat> well, um, I was possibly too young at this point, obviously being a naive <laughs> 20-year-old who never drank anything. Um, <laughs> but these guys in uh, Utopia and um, uh, other areas of Reading from AD. But I think it's we brought up there about clearing the air. I don't think that'd be so easy now with footballers now. I think maybe they're a little bit more, I can't think of, maybe a little bit more precious, basically. And they're kind of like a little, can't take criticism quite as well as maybe in that area. You could just be quite upfront with each other and get it sorted. I think now it might just sit there for too long. Yeah, and I think that's possibly part of the problem that you've got, isn't it? You know, if you're opinionated in, in football nowadays, you tend to seem to get a little bit persecuted. But probably why people are a lot more reserved about it now and don't want to say something and I think sometimes like you say sitting on something it festers and, and you'd rather just get it out in the open get it dealt with if you're not happy with something deal with it and, it, and it's kind of gone away you know you're never going to get on with everybody in any walk of life or in every, any work but you have respect for, for your fellow teammates and your fellow players and your coaches and your management down to the tea lady and, and the kit man you have respect for everybody but you're not always going to agree in everything and I think like you say nowadays social media I think it's a big problem with it um, you can't do anything, you know, you imagine, you know, we've been TGI's having a couple of beers and it'd probably be on social media within seconds that we're hammered and drunk and abusing everybody. But that was the difference then to now. And I think that's probably why people sit uh, with their cards a little bit closer to their chest, maybe. Yeah, no, that is a very fair point. If players do go out and do anything now, it's everyone's got a camera. I mean, if like you say, if you'd gone out and done some of the things that happened in Utopia, you know, people falling downstairs and stuff like that, it wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't like go down too well. Um, but people have to let steam off as well. People are humans. I think that fans sometimes forget that players don't always get on with each other. They're not always best mates. That's not the way it works. It's a job, essentially, but it's more than a job for a lot of people. It's a love. But, yeah, the 90s seems just a totally different era today than now. I mean, what do you think when you watch football now? Do you think that you'd rather have played when you did or now? Um, there's, there's, there's pluses and minuses to both of those. I think, the, the, you know, I loved, um, I loved the way you were able to do what we did in the 90s. I loved that there was a relationship with the fans at that particular time. You, you kind of could go and sit and have a drink and people could ask questions. You'd get the odd rude person, but that's, that's part and parcel. I quite like that part of it um, you know but I like also that as I was getting towards the end of my career the science started coming in and, and training methods more scientifically improved which towards the end of my career I picked up a couple of injuries and, and towards the end with able to manage my body and, and the different bits and pieces I was able to play more games yearly uh, that's just there's certain things in that um, do I like the social media style of it not particularly now no I think that that's a lot um, a lot of problems that cause 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 a lot of players Again, not knowing what to do, when not to do it, the way to speak. And I think that that's the bit I don't like. And like I said, I love the way we, we, we were able to 
to play. I'd have the odd night out, uh, have a bit of team bonding here and there. And, and like I said, it, there's differences in it. And, and would I like to play now? I probably would it suit me now? Probably yes. Um, the way football is in nowadays, less contact, potentially a lot more possession based uh, stuff like that. Yes, it would. Um, because I always saw myself as a championship player. That the reason I couldn't get to the sort of I played in the Premier League, but I wouldn't say I'm a Premier League player, if that makes sense. I didn't quite impose myself on that because at that particular time in the 90s, there was a very uh, set sort of philosophy, very physical. You know, it, it wasn't as that. And then towards the end of the 90s, it started changing where, you know, Arsenal started changing that and people like that. And it became a lot more, not just possession-based, but that that football side of it. And I think that's that's why you have to sometimes admit that I, I was a championship player. You know, much as I, I, I played in the Premier League, you know, my, my level was probably championship. Yeah, no, I think you'd be brilliant in this time with the tick attack of football that Barcelona had. Just that quick passing through balls, that would be uh, ideal, wouldn't it? I could see you at the new camp, just lighting it up. <laughs> I, saw, I saw myself on our holiday a couple of years back. That's about. <laughs> yeah. But I have scored against them. I don't want to tell you about that. But I have oh, no, no. Tell us about that, Simon. No, you <laughs> no, we, yeah, no. I, as I see at Wolves, we, we managed to play them I in mean, a pre season friendly at Wolves. I managed to score against, uh, against Barca. So. I've got that in my cap somewhere along the oh, line. Definitely, definitely. That's no, I, definitely need to bring out. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's it. But no, like I said, I, you know, I, I, I just think at that time, you know, we did play some good football, but there were some teams out there that were very physical and very strong. And I think that was the difference from, from me making that step up. I'm not the biggest fellow in the world. I'm not the quickest fellow in the world, but um, it certainly changed a little bit. But like I said, no, I'd, I'd much rather play when I did. Uh, no regrets of doing what I did back then. Love watching football now and I love the way it's changing certain things, but, I think it's lost a certain charm and a certain a certain relationship with fans for definite. Yeah. No, no, I, I totally agree with that. It has lost. It's, it's very different now, isn't it? And there are pros and cons to it. So getting back to 1994, we obviously have Mark McGee leaving Reading Football Club and moving to Leicester. That was a traumatic period as a Reading fan watching that because he said he's going to leave, then he's going to stay. John Medeski uh, really isn't happy with him. He has some kind of not happy at all. How was that inside the camp when that was happening? It, it was a really strange time. Um, obviously, especially for someone like myself, I'd come, I was really enjoying my football. Um, one of the reasons, obviously, is what their, their sort of vision was and what I was doing. So it, it was a difficult moment. I think that the, the players themselves were a little bit unsure of what was going on, what was really happening, who was doing what. Was he staying? Was he going? That that whole scenario. Who's going to be taking training tomorrow? And then obviously they 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 left. Um, so they they left and went. Ad sort of Mickey and, and Jimmy were there, and then Ad stepped back, and Mickey and Jimmy took over for the management. And now unfortunately, I, I managed to pick up that injury. So again, for me, it was a very very strange couple of months through into that new year period. Um, we just continued doing the sort of same stuff that we've done. Um, again, it, it's a different change. Those guys have slightly different ideas to what they're doing. Um, so you have to take that on board but um, we got over it we kept we kept going um, we signed Lee Nogan we came in as well. so again we, we just managed to keep the impetus going and you know we were still enjoying our football we were, it was going great we were up at the top of half of the of the, the, the championship as it was from coming up the year before playing some really good football um, and it kind of just went away pretty quickly because you're playing and because you're still winning the fact that your manager's left, it, it, it gets forgotten about pretty quickly. So it was a, for the first sort of the uncertain times in the first couple of weeks, it was a little bit, a little bit fractious, not between us, just not really understanding what was going on. Um, and then it, it settled down pretty quickly and we got back into the swing of, of trying to win games and keeping ourselves right at the top. 
did um, Jimmy Quinn and Mick Cudding, who were really the like people in charge at that point, did they actually change much, or did they just think, well, this is working, we just keep it as it is, really? Yeah, they didn't really change a lot. They didn't really change a lot in it. They brought Phil Holder came in um, along there, so he came in to sort of give him a bit of uh, advice. Phil's a, an older head who'd been around the block a lot of times. I'd, I'd come across him a few times. So they brought Phil in as well, just to add another uh, another voice and another pair of eyes into that. But he, there wasn't huge changes to what we were doing. It was working. Um, the guys were playing well. We were fit. We were strong. We felt we could always play against anybody in that, whole, in that league at that time. So... It, it, it wasn't a huge change. It wasn't a huge change at all. It was just general little tweaks here and there and, and maybe the odd personal change because Mickey or Jimmy may see something a little differently to Colin or Mark. And that's just the fact of the opinion thing again that we talk about. Immediately after he leaves, we play Wolves in that game and you score your fifth goal of the season, but a header. So <laughs> against the team that you obviously go on to move to and stay for quite a long period of time, What's he like scoring in that goal? Because that's kind of like quite a popular game of people who went to Elm Park in that area. That match, it was on TV, which is unusual for Reading at that point. It was a huge win, moving right up the table. What's it like after that match and scoring in that game? It was brilliant. Because as, as I said, your Wolves had signed some real, you know, real big players, Steve Frogger, John the Wolf, uh, Don Goodman, Steve Ball. They, they, you know, they had a... They had a really good side um, at that particular time. They'd have picked up a couple of injuries. I think Tony Daly might have been injured and somebody else, but they had a, they had a really good team. And um, we just played really well. Yeah. We, we I think they went one up and we got back into it, and it was two one two all, and it was it was just it was just brilliant. We played really well. Like I said, I got a header. Most unusual people don't pick me up because they know my height is a is a massive thing. Um, and we came away from that thinking, you know, we're we're up there. But we're not up there because we've been lucky. We're actually up there because we deserve to be up there. Wolves were one of the, the, the pre-season sort of favourites to go up. Um, and coming out of that game, you know, it gave us great confidence. We, we played well. Uh, we scored goals. We looked dangerous. You know, they, you know they, they had their chances. But we, we certainly felt at that time, you know, we're up here for a reason. It's been a great sort of first half of the season. If we can continue doing it, who knows where it'll take us. So it's not that long after that you suffer the real injury that puts you out for a while. What actually happened to you? Um, yeah, don't really. it pretty well. Basically, what it was, it was a Grimsby New Year's Eve. Um, ball, a ball came to the edge of the box. I took a touch and had a shot. I think I had a shot on my left left foot. And as I placed, the guy was coming out to block me from in front. Another one coming from the side, and they basically hit me at the same time and had nowhere to go. Um, so, sort of that basically shot my knee to bits. Really, um, came away from that. Sort of went out in the evening, had a couple of drinks to sort of try and numb the pain a little bit. Woke up the next morning in absolute agony. Uh, long story short, basically I tore my medial ligament, um, slightly stretched my cruciate and put a hole in the bone at the top of my, my sort of shin bone knee with the impact. So it was quite a bad injury at that time. Obviously I had it operated on. Um, took me, I think it was roughly about eight, nine weeks it took me to get back from that, um, back to playing. It, it still wasn't, wasn't 100%. I was probably playing at between March and the end of the season at maybe 85, 90% and trying to manage it through the week. But obviously everything was going so well. It wasn't, it wasn't so much in the, the, the games I could get through. It was more the sort of in between the games and stuff like that. But yeah, it was a, it was a nasty injury for me. And that, that injury basically played me up on and off for two and a bit years, really. Um, even, you know, I signed for QPR. I had another operation at the end of the season straight after the playoff final. Um, and that played me up for the next... I was okay at QPR through to the following season. 
then it flared up again a year after that um eventually to the point where i had a bone graft from my hip into my knee to try and to try and get over that initial hole in the bone so yeah that that caused me six operations in total on that that one injury so Wow. No, no, it's talking to so many players. It's just injuries are just so massive in a player's career. You just need one moment and it can totally transform it for a long period of time. That's just amazing, isn't it? How it can affect it. Just a simple incident. And then all of a sudden you've got all that to go through. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's the risk, isn't it? It's part of what we do. And it's part of, you know, I said, I don't want to pat on the back for it. It's, it's one of those things. And I think, you know, you look back and in hindsight, we're looking at the, the, the playoff final, which we'll talk about later, is those sort of things. And like I said, I, I played through, got to the end of the season. So, you know, we had the, the, the great day and the disappointment. But then not only that, I've got the disappointment. And then two days later, I'm in a, an operating theatre again, having my knee operated on again um, to try and to sort it out, really. So it, it was sort of a double whammy for me um, yeah. at that season but like I said to you I got back I felt I, st I still played from sort of the games towards the end of it from March through to the end and I still had influence in that game and it, I don't think it affected me people wouldn't say that that knee injury affected me from there to the end of the season it was just a, an unfortunate end to it really yeah no definitely I think you made your comeback against Swindon was it you come on as a substitute yeah, yeah I think yeah, it was March, early March yes yeah actually level gets a hat-trick and then in yeah, person right, yeah. Jan Alfjortov's uh, celebration by doing the aeroplane <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's Archie had these weird and wonderful ways at times with our Archie about certain things. So, you know, but again, that's one of the things Archie probably had in his head that he was going to do that. And you know, mm. and we talked about it with Aidy the other day that, that people couldn't answer. We all wore sunglasses on the last day of the season to warm up. And it's stupid enough that we just we just made a throwaway comment and we do it. Yeah, team spirit. You can't you can't buy that. It just happens, doesn't it? You either get the right bunch of people together. And it works. And then you start getting results on the pitch. So I suppose it must build inside, mustn't it? You kind of like think, he's going to cover my back, I'll cover his. So it, it just becomes a kind of group mentality. Yeah, it does. And it was great. And like I said, even though, you know, when I was injured, it, myself, it might have been myself and Jeff Hopkins, we'd run the players' bar. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we'd stock up, we'd go in there, we'd serve drinks, we'd go out, watch the game, come back in at half-time, serve the drinks. It was just, just, that's just the way it was. You know, you wouldn't imagine championship players doing that now. Um, but we we earned a little bit of money out of the players' bar to stick in for a bit of a Christmas drink or a, a bit of a meal. So we'd, we'd sort of sit in there, sort of run the bar, go behind the bar, serve the drinks and, and, and go out again and watch the games. And that's, you know, you, you, that wouldn't happen now. That wouldn't happen now at all. I'm just imagining our first team players doing that now. <laughs> I really am. Yeah, <laughs> I cannot see it. The reason why they can't get enjoyed in these things, though, they've just kind of got this natural elevation as kind of, almost superhumans, which they're clearly not. They're just like anyone talking to them. There's no difference. It's just, it's, it's the money, isn't it? That's what it is. It's because they earn so much money. Yeah. Yeah, potentially, like I said, but we, we didn't see it as that. I mean, like I said, I grew up, my dad ran a, a sort of non-league Saturday side, so I'd always spend my life in a, in a bar and run the bar behind the bar at sort of age 14 to look after it when he was out doing the team. So we just saw it as another part of what we did. You know, I cleaned balls when I was apprentice and boots and whatever else. So, I didn't see it as a chore. I just saw it as, right, I'm on the road this week to run the players' bar because I'm injured. I'll go and do that. It wasn't, you didn't query it, didn't question it. You just got in there, got on with it, made sure we had a bit of float and uh, tried to sell a few few cans of Fosters. <laughs> Get a bit of bonus out of it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Get involved. Yeah, just natural for you, wasn't it? So, kind of, we moved through the season then and then we finished second in the league. We have a really good last day of the season. We beat Charlton 2-1. 
AD scores the uh, winning goal. Spoke about that with him the other day, and he was quite happy to talk about that one. But uh, it's kind of, he's a really good header, to be fair. I mean, I cannot. It was, yeah. Yeah, he's a quality header. But first, in that first half of that game, Lee Nogan scores a goal. Now, there's a signing that we've made. We've talked about it briefly, but what a signing he was. The impact he had. He worked beautifully with Jim. Yeah, like I said, Lee was great. I, and, and midfield players will always tell you, live and die by the guys that play alongside you in the centre-forwards. You know, I was lucky that season with Archie, Jimmy, and then obviously Lee coming in, that it just worked. You know, Lee would make good runs, could hold the ball up and link up play. Um, and for a midfield player, if he's making that run more often than not, like I said, you pick it up in training, you try and get a gist for it, and he'd give you a little look, and you think he's going in behind, and it, it, it'll work out. And I was happy to try and play that. And at other times, again, Archie made some great runs. So it did work really, really well. And he'd done great for us for, for that like, latter part of that season, all the way through to the playoff final. And again, we'll talk about that in a minute. But we we had a few injuries going into that final. I think that in the end, we we kind of ran out of a bit of steam. But he was brilliant, you know, he was brilliant. Yeah, the perfect example for me is, you know, Bolton at home, I thought was a fantastic night at Elm Park. Definitely, you know? I wanted to come on to that. Um, oh, okay, I'll leave that. No, no, that's fine, we're going to come on to it now, because that, for me, <laughs> is one of my favourite ever nights of watching football. I don't know why, everything yeah. just came together. I mean, as a player, it was the same for you. Yeah, you know, games under lights are great. Stadiums, tight, compact stadium under lights against one of the favourites, you know, for the division again or for certainly for the playoffs. And, you know, it came back to haunt us later. But it was just it just a really good night. Like I said, you know, there's two things in that game, really, that sort of stand out. Obviously, I was lucky enough to guess and get a ball off the line with my, my amazing height again. Um, and then again, late on the ball drop, Lee made a great run, put it in there and he stuck it home, which was great to get a 2-1 win at home. Great atmosphere. They're the things that... You know, those, those games at Lights, and we come off of there absolutely buzzing. You know, it took us, it, it took us on into the playoffs, really, of, of how well we were playing. And it was just a great night. It was just, you know, those nights were great. You can't sleep at the best of times after games, and certainly after a game like that, you couldn't. I know, as a fan, I was flying after that. That was amazing. Just being in the South Bank with that last, kind of, well, last second, but it was pretty late in the game. That through ball, and he's going through, and Lee Nogan scores. It's just... The noise for me just gets louder every year. <laughs> just getting building and building, and I just uh, love that's like the last great night in Elm Park for me. Really uh, amazing atmosphere. And it's kind of legendary night with the people who go then. So then we move into the playoff semi-finals, and we go to Tranmere. Um, Tranmere came out of that game well to only lose three-one. We just completely and utterly bossed them. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, we just, you know, we, we were we, we were in, a, in in good form and we were confident. You know, Tram is not an easy place to go up to. Again, they had a decent team at the time, but we just we just didn't hold any fear when we got up there. We played really well away from home um, and we got up there and just it just gelled. We played, we came away, you know, not, not thinking we'd done enough, but, you know, on that day we were, we were far, far better than Tram and we knew that the, the hard work away from home had been done and if we could just take him back on, on, on the, the next game at home and get any any result, we knew we'd, we'd sort of be in the final. But we weren't complacent, but we knew we'd played well enough. And if we could replicate that going forward, we're, you know, we'd be in there. But it, again, it just it all gelled. We just played really well. We were comfortable throughout the game. And, they were, you know, to give them a goal, we, we should never have given them anyway. So, um, yeah, to drive it back, you know, on the coach, it was a really good feeling. We felt we'd, we'd earned it. Um, we'd certainly felt that we, we played really well. Um, but, you know, we was only halfway there, but, yeah, it was great. 
Yeah, I remember. I just listened to the uh, commentary on that game the other day. Watched it, and it's got Ian St. John on commentary, and he said, "I knew if Reading were going to get one, they were going to get loads. <laughs> they were just far superior." Yeah, I mean, it probably could have been more. To be honest, we could have probably sort of pressure off ourselves uh, coming back to home, obviously. But it, it 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 was it was done. It was done and dusted. I think they knew that they came down. We we didn't play as well in the second game, but we knew we only had to do so much. And I think. You didn't ease off, but you knew you didn't have to go crazy at it and go go right at it. But we were comfortable in that in in that, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great feeling. The, the moment sort of that evening finished at Tranmere, and we knew we was at Wembley. It's, a, it's something you always dream about doing and playing, and and to get into that again, disappointing in some respects that we finished second, three points behind Middlesbrough, who were a really good side that season, had some really good players. Um, you know, automatic promotion on any other year, yeah, which is which is, which is frustrating and always. And always does it. I know we know it at the beginning of the season, but it is what it is. Um, but going to Wembley again, we we still felt we had a good chance of of, of getting in, getting into the Premiership. It's so reading that we finished second and didn't go up. Just something about <laughs> it. I don't know. I talked about this with Aidy and other people. You just think that is so us. It's just the way we work. I mean, I wonder how that team would have done in the Premier League because there was the, not that long before there was Swindon. They got blitzed, didn't they? Completely blitzed. But I think we would have done better. Maybe that's because I just don't like Swindon. But uh, it's also, how do you think it would have gone? Uh, again, I think you have to then strengthen, don't you? you know, we, we, that's two straight promotions. You're obviously on a massive high if we'd have gone up there then. And again, I think with some signings, potentially you'd have done okay. But it's, it's a, it was really difficult at that time. But the teams that tended to go up either done okay and stayed up or got absolutely trounced. Like you say, Swindon's, the Derby's, the teams like that at that particular time straight back down. But um, even for one season, if we'd have gone up there, I think at that time, it, you know, Reading eventually got there and done in, into the promised land, which was great. Um, and had a couple of great seasons up there. But we all know that's the place we wanted to get to. And um, I think to play premiership football at Elm Park would have been, would have been amazing. It would have been amazing, totally. So I'm on the pitch after the game against Tranmere thinking, this is amazing. We're finally going to go up. We're going to get there. But back in my head, I'm thinking, we've still got to beat Bolton. But we'd only beaten them not that long before. So we get to Wembley. Uh, going to Wembley as a Reading fan, second time there. First time with the Simmel Cup final. Uh, that game was an absolute roller coaster. 2-0 um, up. Lee Nogan scores a goal that's one of the best Reading goals, but never gets mentioned because, obviously, of the events that happened. How are you feeling when we're going to... Stuart Lovell's about to take that penalty. We would go 3-0 up. I don't blame Archie at all for any of this because someone has to step there and take it. No one misses it deliberately. But how are you feeling at that moment? It's a funny one, really, because I picked the ball up, but Archie had been taking penalties. And I'm quite comfortable taking penalties. But at no point did I think I was going to take it. It was just I was quite close to where the incident happened and I picked the ball up. Um, if Archie hadn't been on the pitch, maybe I would have took it. But as it was... He scored a penalty against Swindon, very comfortable, scored penalties the season before. I had no, I had no hesitations giving the ball something. He's playing well, he's confident, he's going to score it. Um, and it hits the bar, comes down, and then the ball comes back and he scoops it over the bar. I don't think we then switched off and went, oh, it's not to be. Um, and as I said to you, there's a few factors we'll talk about that go into it. But I think at 3-0, they're dead and buried. Because they, we could see, when that, if that penalty had gone in, we... we we got them at 2-0, obviously, with a goal and AD scoring. And, and if that had gone in then, I think that would have completely deflated them. The fact it didn't and they got into half-time, they had a little chance to maybe rejuvenate themselves if they could get the next goal. They're still in with a shout, so on and so forth. And, 
And as it transpired, that's exactly what happened. And um, the moment it went into extra time, as I said to you, we, was, we went into the game and it's not excuses and it's not bits and pieces. We had three or four of us that were carrying injuries um, and that extra half hour, basically, it killed us. They had, you know, the likes of McAteer started running wild, which he hadn't done. Obviously, I was carrying a little bit of a problem with my knee. Keith McPherson had a problem. Lee Nogan goes off with a calf strain that he'd already come into the game with. Um, the, the, the list is sort of endless, if you know what I mean, in, in some respects. And you're then thinking, when we're getting into extra time, we're actually fading. It's a big, it's not a big pitch, it's the atmosphere and everything that goes with it. Um, and we're starting to fade a little bit. And you can see that in the last sort of 50, certainly the last 15, 20 minutes of, of extra time, we, we've kind of run out of a little bit of steam, if I'm honest to you. And the first 45, 55 minutes, we played really, really well was controlled in it and then they got back into it we managed to sneak ourselves back and then I think we just that was us we were, we were sort of done for the season yeah no it is sad. that's the most heartbroken I've been after a playoff final the first one I mean Reading is specialist at losing playoff finals we just don't believe in winning them at all that was the start of the journey but if, if you were there at that point it just felt like we had the momentum Obviously, like you said, it would have been two consecutive promotions. I felt that we could beat Bolton. We're in such a good position in that game. But you could see it as a fan watching it. It would just, the t players looked knackered. They just, given everything they had, they couldn't give any more. It just kind of just ran out. And maybe Bolton had that bit of luck. I mean, I'm not saying Fabian De Freitas was offside or handball. I'm going <laughs> to let that go. But it's kind of, I'm a little bit bitter about that still. I am. The fact that we beat them 7-0 the other year, only a few years ago, made me, made me happy. <laughs> this kind of, yeah. yeah. How do you look back at your red time at Reading then, Simon, overall? I, I loved it. I think it was a, a springboard for me to go on. Uh, you know, that, that happened and obviously I left at the end of that season. The club uh, got an offer for me that they couldn't turn down. Uh, I never asked to leave. Mm. Um, I didn't do that, you know just to put everybody straight on that, you know, me and the chairman had one or two words about one or two things, but um, I didn't ask to leave. I didn't, there was no intentions of me leaving, purely and simply that the money came in and myself, uh, Scott and Shaka, I think the money at the time Reading looked at and thought it was too good to turn down um, and basically gave me a phone call, didn't, didn't ask me to stay, didn't try and convince me to stay, basically sort of said, look, we've accepted an offer. Do you want to go and talk to these guys? I took that as well, actually, not that he didn't want me, I just took it as well, actually sending me any love here that you want me to stay. Uh, you know, I do want to get back in the premiership. I felt that I could go and do that. Um, and I, I went and done that. It was, um, it was a move that didn't actually work out for me. It didn't, I went to QPR, didn't enjoy it, didn't, didn't, didn't feel it was where I wanted to be. I thought I'd go there and, and pick up, learn off of Ray Wilkins, some good players in the premiership. Just never, never liked it. And like I said, within... Six months, I'd gone again and joined Wolves. So it was a strange one. It was really strange for me. I'd loved my time at Reading. Um, obviously, massive disappointment my last game and just felt it was a little bit unfinished business, really, from my point of view, um, that I was there and, and, and gone within a year. And it, it was a strange one for me. It was a strange one. I went from that and I had a, had a couple of, a couple of four, month, four or five months at, at QPR going from sort of the highlight and playing really, really well to to sort of sitting there going, what did I sign here for? What am I doing? You know, I'm not enjoying my training. I'm not playing enough games. Why did I do that? Should I have gone back there? And I'm thinking, but they didn't want me to stay. They didn't, well, not didn't want me to stay. That's the wrong words. They just didn't make it clear that um, they were going to do anything. You know, I'd only signed a two-year contract. People tend to forget. I hadn't signed a long four-year term contract. So I only had a year left of my, of my current deal. I sort of 
made inklings before that when it was all going well, did they want to extend it, so on and so forth. It didn't happen, which is fine. Um, and that's the kind of bits that people don't really see. I, you know, I never wanted to leave and it, it happened, I'd gone. And then didn't enjoy my football and had to move again. Um, I enjoyed my football again and that was Mark and Colin taking me back to Wolves. Yeah, definitely. Your time at Wolves, you ended up with quite a few Reading players, didn't you, from that era. So Michael Jilks was there as well and obviously AD. What was he like playing for Wolves as well? Because obviously the Wolves are a big club. You know, I can say that he's obvious that they are. You were there for quite a long period of time. Did you feel the same link at, at points that you had at Reading that you had at Wolves? Yeah, it's it, different. It's slightly different. It, it, it's a bigger club, probably in some respects. Um, probably size of stadium now is pretty much similar, a little bit smaller than basically. So I think that changed. Um, very much Reading is a sort of suburby type London club where Wolves is... That is your only club. So that's a little bit more of a goldfish bowl. Um, but yeah, again, a big club with a lot of expectation at the time. Um, again, never got promoted when I was there. Lost out in the playoffs, blew out of the playoffs in the last few bits. So again, but I loved it. You know, I loved it. I loved it. I moved away from home. You know, I'd moved closer to Reading in my time there, but I'd moved fully away from London. You know, Reading to me, where I lived, was, was an hour, not all of a sudden I'm two and a half, three hours away up the road. And again, Mark was there. Colin was there. Big influence of what had happened at Reading. It was a no-brainer for me. I'm going to go back to people that I enjoy working for. Um, I'm going to start enjoying my football and training again. And that's what I wanted to do. And it, it went up there. And um, like I said, I didn't have great times at, at QPR, but I've always I've always had fond memories of coming back to Reading. I still come back there now and obviously pop upstairs and have one or two chats, even though I've been there a year. Um, really enjoy going back to, to, to watch the games there. It's been some difficult times lately. Mm. Uh, but, you know, hopefully I'll still keep coming back there for, for years to come and people will still remember me. I see. Yeah, definitely. I definitely uh, one of the best players I've ever seen play for Red. When you come back, I would say there's a little bit of John Swift in you. Definitely, there's some comparison because he always wants to try the hardest pass, and sometimes <laughs> he gets criticism for that. That's a good thing as a fan. I think I want a player who's going to do that because that's the killer pass, isn't it? That's the one that's going to set up the goal. But do you think there's anything in like John Swift in comparison with you? Not physically, because I know he's a bit taller, but like, start <laughs> of play, he's very calm on the ball. Yeah, that's right. Whenever I've seen him play, and whenever I've come back to games or watched it on it, yes, he wants to get on the ball, he wants to, to make things happen. And, you know, um, I think that that's what you want. You want somebody that's going to get you on the edge of your seat. You want somebody that sometimes is going to look for that, that pass. And every now and then you go, oh, what a ball that is. I think that's. That's part and parcel of what we want in football, don't we? We don't want robots that are going to pass sideways constantly and not in their tain and great, their stats are 97%. They haven't given the ball away, but they've never really got you off your seat. I mean, and football, you know, we're working class people. We love going to watch football. We, uh, we spend a lot of money watching our clubs or, you know, I spend a lot of money going watching my son driving, but, you know, it's different when you're playing. But you spend a lot of hard-earned money. You, you know, you work through the week for that, that hour and a half of a little bit of something. And you, you want to go home talking about an incident. You want to go home talking about, oh, what about that shot? What about that goal? Um, fortunately, I was lucky enough at Reading to get some goals that people still talk about. And that, that's fun for me to, to be able to do that and go, did you mean it? Yeah, of course I mean it. Did I mean it with the volley at Charlton? No, I've practised it. Does it go in once in 10? Yeah, luckily that time it did. Normally, you lot in the stand behind would have been catching it. But that the day, it drops in the top corner. So... Yeah, the bits and people people want to see that. People want to be entertained. You go there to be entertained. You don't go there to be bored. Um, you don't go there to see someone never pass the ball forward. Like I said, one of the best teams you guys had since then was the 106. A really good team. You know, Steve Couple, my manager. My, I still call him Gaffer now because he was my first ever manager. 
Um, and the team then were, you know, a great team. Good to watch, entertaining, good footballers, uh, you know, score goals. And that's what you want to see, you know. They're the things you remember. You remember, all right, we got beaten in the player final, but you remember the season because of the, the good games. Um, and that's what fans want to see, don't they? They want to see that and they want a bit of an interaction with the players. No, no, totally. I agree on that. And I um, never have anything bad said about Sir Steve Coppel. <laughs> <That> is... <laughs> never. No. He, gave my, he gave my first contract. You can't say anything about the gaffer. <laughs> no, definitely not. He's one of the nicest people ever as well. He's such a kind of, he's nice, but he's got definitely got a kind of strength in him as well. There's no kind of, he's made a decision. I went to this recent form of Reading player thing and kind of made that point. He says, I'm, you know, I think I'm a nice person, but I have an inner strength. And if I believe in something, I'll go with it. But the 106 team, yeah, that's uh, special. Very, very special. Yeah. I mean, like I said, to, I, I can remember when I was a, a young, you know, 16, I was an apprentice. So I then turned pro at 17, luckily. At Palace, and I can remember going in, and like I said, he'd finished early in his career with his knee, could still train a little bit, but obviously couldn't get still very, very fit at that particular time. And I can remember going in, you know, trying to ask questions, and he was very clever at the time. So I want to go in and find out how I could get in the team, what do I need to do to improve? And by the time I'd got in and gone in there, he'd asked me a couple of questions. I forgot what I wanted to ask him because you're a young lad, you're a bit nervous, you've pre planned it, you know what you're going to say. Once he'd baffled you a couple of times, you'd walk out the door and go, I didn't actually ask him. <laughs> just completely baffled you you know he's a clever man um and he'd do that and then you go out and he'd probably be sitting in the chuckling game got another young lad <laughs> behind the door going i got him again a couple of early questions threw him off his stride he's done <laughs> question about why am i not playing gaffer That's what I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah no, definitely yeah he's top man so a couple of quick questions to uh finish it up with yep. best player that you played with at reading best player Best player because Darius Dobchak was amazing. Not to say that he should be the best one, but there's so many good They're the two. They're the two I would say. Him and AD that season for me were phenomenal. Uh, Darius was a Rolls Royce. A Rolls Royce. Love, I love playing with those two. As a midfield player, they'd give me the ball in, in certain tight areas, and I, I knew I could give it back to him. For me, those two. Like I said, I, I've got respect for everything. I love Dylan. I love Archie. I love, I love all the guys I played with. But those two at the time, we were, Shaka was immense. Immense. No, totally. Yeah. Favourite goal? Because you've got some good ones to pick from. <sighs> favourite goal, I would probably have to say favourite goal technique-wise was Charlton. Favourite for cheekiness was probably Oldham. Yeah, definitely. So, thanks a lot, then. Simon's been absolutely great having a chat about your time at Reading Football Club. Um, just thanks very much. And uh, hopefully everything works out for you in the future. And uh, I hope everyone enjoys listening to this. So, uh, thanks a lot, mate. Cheers, Paul. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers, buddy.